Genesis 32, 22 to 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. Genesis 32, 22. The same night he arose and took two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let us go to our Lord in prayer. Father God, Reveal to us, through the power of the Spirit, how you desire us, uh, how do you desire to speak to us through your word this morning. We ask this for the name of Christ. Amen. Now, I had uh, two dilemmas this week. Well, more than two, but two dilemmas when it came to this sermon. Originally, as was mentioned earlier in the announcements, I was slated to still be on vacation this week. So I wasn't expecting to preach anything. And uh, secondly, I, I have this stubborn tendency when it comes to pastoring. It's, it's a high honor that part of my job for a living is to study the Word of God and to teach upon a, a passage that I get to study. And so uh, while we're in Ephesians um, at the moment, I, I didn't feel like I would have enough time to, to really deliver a sermon on that passage with the other things going on this week. And so I, I, I just decided to preach really one of uh, the passages I find most incredible in Genesis. Uh, so I've had a few people ask me, you know, why this passage? What was your reasoning behind it? I don't really know. <laughs> but uh, hopefully um, we find that the Lord uses it. And... So when we enter in, and we don't just go verse by verse through Scripture, sometimes we just, we just need to have the context. And so, where does this passage begins, begin today? Well, our passage begins with Jacob as a man afraid. By the time we actually reach our passage today, uh, Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of Genesis, is in terror. His life has, has been one defined by conflict and struggle, even in the womb. Genesis 25 says he, he came out basically wrestling with his brother. 
And if I'm off on the chapters a little bit, forgive me, but and in in chapter 27 of Genesis, uh, he finds that his father is about to die. He wants the blessing of Isaac, and and there is this struggle because the father wants to give the blessing to his brother Esau, and yet Jacob deceives his his father. And and, and in conjunction with uh, Jacob's mother, and receives the blessing that Esau was to receive. And Isaac will not rescind it. Isaac will not take it away. And so uh, at the end of 27, Esau was quite angry with his brother. And then moving forward into the narrative of Jacob, uh, in the chapters that immediately precede this one, he's in a struggle with his father-in-law. And his father-in-law, and, and eventually things get so bad and so contentious with his father-in-law, his father-in-law in one sense is a deceiver, like Jacob has been a deceiver. Uh, even in one sense, Jacob has two wives because his father-in-law deceived him. Now, there's more to it than that. That's a simple s- summary, but th- they had a struggle. And at the end of the, that chapter, Jacob pretty much has to flee from his father-in-law. But now, in this chapter, he finds himself and he can't go back to where he was because of his father-in-law. And then he finds out that his brother, with 400 battle-ready men, is coming towards him. And so he can't go back to the place where he was from, but he can't. And he's afraid that his brother's coming in order to wipe out his family, in order to wipe out his household. And so he is in utter terror. And so he begins the passage by sending his family across this watery uh, river. In order to, I, I think, really just to hope that maybe, maybe they'll just deal with me and they'll have mercy on my household. And so we find him in the darkness of night and he sends them across the river and, and having lived in a place like Vegas, the desert gets really dark at night. I remember driving into Vegas and, and about an hour and a half out of Vegas, if you're driving in from the, the Southern California direction, you could see the light that came up off the Luxor because there was, it was just so dark. And so he sends his family off into the darkness and he's left in the darkness alone. Wondering, waiting, waiting for the worst. And so Jacob begins as our, this passage, as I said, as a man afraid at his brother Esau. Is he going to kill him? Or as a man with no place of escape, because the land he went from, he has his father-in-law, Laban. Any moment he could be wiped out by his enemies. And so this is where we begin our passage. Jacob up at night, agonizing over the situation he finds himself in. Alone in the dark, with his own thoughts, in a deep wilderness canyon landscape. And really at this moment, I think it's helpful to say, can't we relate? Maybe not to our sibling actively possibly wanting to kill us or our father-in-law basically chasing us down hopefully my father-in-law doesn't want to do that I'm seeing him later today Um, somebody should tell me so but are there not things that come up against us and also those whom we care about in our life 
from time to time in this world that utterly overwhelm us and, and paralyze us in fear where we don't know what to do. And then in the second half of verse 24, Jacob's worst fears are realized. A man suddenly comes upon him and begins to wrestle with him. Was it a robbery, bandit, or thief? Was it an assassin? Even uh, that we know from kind of the archaeological evidence and history of the area, it was very popular in the pagan religions around at this time to, to kind of act like there might be a spirit being or, you know, kind of a Bigfoot kind of figure who would protect certain regions. And, and Jacob really, up until this point, has been living like a pagan a lot of times. So maybe he even thinks, maybe something like that is coming up against me. Who is this one who comes upon him and just attacks him? Was it someone sent by Esau? Was it someone sent from Laban? Were the local legends true? And the wrestling match continues through the remaining of the night's darkness. The entire night. I remember one time as a child, I I got in a fight with my friend. Actually, my friend who, if you remember a sermon a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so, a friend who called me up and told me his father died. Um, on Sunday morning. But, you know, the fight ended not because either one of us got hurt. The fight ended because we just got tired. Uh, We had this big after-school kind of brawl, and we just, at some point, you're just exhausted. Now, these are two men fighting, and Jacob has begun this fight, and he's fighting for everything. He thinks that his life, his very life, is dependent upon winning this fight. Maybe even the lives of his wives, his children, his household. He might lose everything if he loses this fight. And so he will not relent. He will not give up. He will not surrender. This is, if I lose, I might not just lose me, but I'll lose my entire family, I'll lose my entire future, I'll lose my entire inheritance kind of fight. And for his attacker, he's obviously up to the challenge to contend with such an impassioned opponent. And then in verse 25, a change takes place. An interesting one, because it's often misunderstood in the biblical translation. Whoever this man wrestling Jacob is, he sees that he's not going to prevail against Jacob. And what do we picture? Maybe we picture something like two boxers going at it. I remember one of the most surreal sporting events I ever watched live. Um, It was a boxing match between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, not known for making the best decisions in life, at a point in the battle, realizes he's going to lose to Evander. You could just see it. He's got, he knows he's going to lose to Evander Holyfield. And so what does he do? Crazy Mike Tyson. Yeah, some of you already said it. He bites his ear. And it was crazy the first time. And the, and the ref just sort of doesn't know what to do. I mean, a boxer biting another man's ear. He's try, he rips off a chunk of his ear. And so he allows the fight to continue. And then, once again, Mike Tyson, he realizes he's going to lose to Evander. He gets in close again, and he bites off a bigger chunk of Evander's ear. And so all of a sudden, the referee says, okay, the fight's off. The fight's off. And so when we read this passage, we have kind of a temptation to think, this was at a stalemate. That's not really what the text is saying. It's not really what 
is going on here. The man realizes Jacob will not give up. Much like how God in the story of Job with Satan said, Job's not going to give up. Do what you want. He's not going to give up. Much like how the disciples in John chapter 6, when they hear one of the hardest teachings from Jesus and, and a huge crowd of people, Jesus just clears out a Joel Osteen kind of group of people. And just, they all kind of flee. His teaching was too hard. And, and he goes to the disciples, are you going to leave me too? Where else would we go? We don't have you. Where else would we go? I, I can't give up on you. Jacob, the man knows Jacob will continue wrestling with this man both day and night. He will not relent because there's no other option at this point. And that's actually a great place to be in as a believer. We don't tend to remember that enough. When we're so overwhelmed in the situations we find ourselves in, that it forces us to have no other option but to rely upon the Lord. Of nowhere else to go. Of nowhere else to find somewhere to to do something. It seems like a dead end from the human perspective when we reach such moments, but God does some of his best work in dead ends. And so the man Jacob is wrestling with eventually just shows his sheer power over Jacob. He actually proves the fact that this is not a Mike Tyson moment, that any moment in the entire battle, he had enough power to end it at any moment throughout the night. In the fact that the man just touches Jacob. He doesn't punch Jacob. He doesn't rip at Jacob. He doesn't gouge him or bite off his ear. It's just a simple touch. And all of a sudden, Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Maybe the closest idea to this is the, you know, the, maybe the hypnotist who when somebody's kind of hypnotized can just be like, sleep, and the body crumbles. Or, or even some of those sci-fi movies, you know, like Star Wars, where they can just touch, the Jedi can just touch, and something happens. This man, who Jacob has spent the better portion of his dark night of terror fighting with, can just make the joints and bones of men crumble with just a simple touch. Who has a power like this? That even the bones and muscles and joints of the human body respond to his simple touch. And even then, even then, Jacob will not give up. Jacob will not give in. The man has now demonstrated a vastly superior power over him. And yet, and he says, once again, let me go for the day has broken. Basically, the sun is about to rise. Let me go. <laughs> Think, uh, this passage began with Jacob being afraid someone would come and attack him. Now Jacob is holding on to this man and doesn't want him to leave. And even now, as Jacob has sustained a deep wound, a lifelong wound, he still continues to refuse to let go. No longer potentially struggling or fighting against an assassin or a potential bandit. Now Jacob is beginning to know by now something of what he is, was truly struggling with 
in the long battle in the dark canyon. There's also a subtle irony at play. Remember that original event with Esau that I just talked about that really helps line up the dominoes that puts Jacob in this situation. He received a blessing from his father through deception, through pretending to have a different name. Jacob was blessed in the past, in his past life, by hiding the reality of who he was. And he would have not found himself struggling in fear as the dawn approaches if he hadn't been so deceitful earlier in his earlier, earlier life. And now Jacob was fighting someone who at first seemed to be a man, just like Jacob at first when he came upon Isaac seemed to be Esau, but actually is no man at all, no mere man at least. But the more he battles with him, the more Jacob begins to understand, this is someone else. And so Jacob now says, I will not let you go until you bless me. The prophet Hosea actually later writes about this exact moment in Genesis. And in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it says that Jacob by this time sought the blessing through tears. Jacob was crying. Jacob was weeping. He so badly wanted to be blessed with the one whom he had his greatest battle with. As the darkness began to recede and the light began to trickle upon the land, Jacob is saying in a tear-choked plea, Bless me. Please bless me. Please bless me. And the man now says something to Jacob. What is your name? And that's an odd question. What's going on here? Why ask a question like that? Again, first off... Remember, Jacob received his first blessing by deceiving, being deceitful on what his name was. But also, Jacob's name in the Hebrew actually doesn't really have positive connotations. It actually means deceiver or usurper. I mean, I should try that with my kids, right? You usurper! Usurper! Go, go do the dishes, usurper! Deceiver! Go clean your bedroom! Can you imagine your entire life being named usurper, deceiver? That would just grate on you. And so I don't think Jacob is just simply saying his name at this point. He's admitting, he's confessing who he has lived up to being. And that's the worst of his name. It's a confession. Through that moment of weakness. And isn't there also a sense in which for all of us to receive the blessing above all other blessings, we need to fess up as to who we are before the face of God. We are usurpers. We are deceivers. And then in verse 28, we hear the man who is no ordinary man we know now in this story state, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're not going to be called a fraud anymore. You're not going to be identified like that in my presence anymore. No, now, no, now I'm going to give you a better name. Your name is going to be called Israel. 
Israel. Israel. That's another one. We've, we've heard that thousands of times. Israel. What's so special about that? That it's lost its meaning. Even the New Testament church we gathered here today are in one sense called the new Israel. That's who we are. What does that mean? Well, El, at the end of Israel, is God. It's the shortest kind of way you can say God in Hebrew. That's, it comes from the word Elohim. So what is Israel? What does Israel mean? Israel really means God, I will rule over you. I will now reign over you. I will now fight for you, is another way Israel can be translated. Jacob, you don't have to fight for yourself anymore in this sort of way. You don't have to be deceitful. You don't have to be a usurper anymore. Because I'm giving you a new name. And that new name, it means I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to rule for you. I'm going to reign over you. We are to be a people that battle to hold on to God before anything else. And by extension, remember that when we come up against the dark nights of fear, the moments of deep anxiety, that God will fight for us and he will reign over us and he will rule for us. I often wonder if C.S. Lewis had this idea when he talked about his godlike figure in Chronicles of Narnia, this moment in scripture when he said things of Aslan like, he's no tame lion. He's, he's not safe in the way that you traditionally think of safe. I suspect he did. God is willing to fight for us or if we just remember this passage at times, if we've gone wayward, he's willing to fight with us. Who picks the fight? God picks the fight. God picks the battle. And our call in all of it is just to hold on to him. Even through tears, if we must... Remember that he does not withhold his blessing from those who cling to him, who have recognized we have no other place to go. As the darkness wanes and the dawn begins to appear, we have no other place to go. You know, one of the most discouraging things I find in modern, as a trend in modern Christianity, American Christianity especially, is the reality that we're not willing to fight to claw and to continue to hold on to God above all else. In too many places where we really cannot surrender, we're too willing to surrender, to give in. Do we have that kind of faith that can go the full battle, the full round? Regardless of what comes down upon us in this life. How hard do we fight in order to hold on to our faith? Is it a life and death reality for you? Or is it just something you're supposed to do that has no passion in it? You know, God desires our passion. My, my wife on occasion, you know, she'll come up to me and it's like, I want you to kiss me. And what do I do sometimes? It's like the, it's like the placate peck, you know? Like, okay, g- give me the peck now. Go on, go on, go away. What would you do? No, I wanted, I wanted to be kissed. Want to have some passion with it. This experience and this encounter of Jacob, what he showed God is that he had a passion for God. A passion to receive the blessing of God. God wants our passion. God doesn't want us just to go through the motions. He desires us to desire Him. 
above all else, at our dead ends, in those dark nights, in the valleys. And the man Jacob has been fighting makes clear, you have strived with God and with men and have prevailed, which to now Israel, who is no longer Jacob, was a promise A promise that the earlier enemies he was worried with, Esau and Laban, they're not going to prevail against you. Their households are not going to prevail against you. You have a God who rules over you, who reigns over you, who now fights for you, Jacob. Now Israel. And then we have this beautiful moment. It's one of those moments is you get comfortable with, more comfortable with your Old Testament. Uh, It's very common. There's... This is the second person of the Trinity that Jacob is wrestling with. If this is kind of new to you, if you're not comfortable in your Old Testament, there are a lot of moments in the Old Testament where there's this person-like figure who is God, but not yet the incarnate God. And, and, And he's here. And Jacob's before him. And Jacob asks, once again, who are you? Give me your name. And in the Hebrew, there's a sense in which this is said. It's so, it's a wonderful way it says it. It's, I prefer it to the ESV translation here. You already know who I am. You already know who you've been wrestling with. You know me. You know who it is, Jacob. I don't need to tell you who it is now, Israel. You know it's me. You know it's me. It's far more personal, this moment. So when we have those dark nights, when we have those moments, and we emerge from it on the other side in the daylight, don't we fall into this trap where we think to ourselves, I'm not sure how I got out of that one. I'm not sure what sustained me. And I can just picture God going in those moments, come on now, Kevin. Come on now, Greg. Come on now, Bruce. Come on now, Andy. You, You know, you know me. I rule over you. I sustained you. I'm with you. That's who I am. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm in the valleys with you. I'm fighting for you. And even willing to fight against you if you forget about me. So that you might remember that's my blessing above all other blessings that you need. And as the sun rises, now Israel is left alone. And it's just... I mean, I wish I could see this scene. He has been fighting for hours with God. He's probably bruised and battered, bloodied and beaten. We know he has his limp. And yet he has joy in that limp. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was once asked, he's a Reformed pastor from, uh, he was, well, he's now gone to be with the Lord, but from Britain. He was once asked, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he says, oh, that's easy. A Christian is someone who walks with a limp. When we battle with God, it'll force us to walk with a limp. To remember that we have been Jacobs in our life. We have been deceivers. We have been usurpers. And yet... Israel now finds joy in that limp. And he holds on to that limp. 
and he walks proudly with that limp. He returns to his family eventually, the family in which he started this passage, worrying that he was going to lose. And when he returns to them, as it says in the last verse, verse 32 that we read, he even instills a, a dietary plan for his family so that they remember the time their father was given a limp. And I, and I don't, because I don't have all the answers as a parent. I really don't. But one thing I would recommend to those as parents, as grandparents, that I think we can take from this passage and I think a lot of Christian households would be a lot far better off if they remember this reality, is that it's okay for us Christians to acknowledge the limp. It's okay for us to even teach our kids that we walk this life with a limp at times. That we need a blessing to come from a higher place, a greater authority, a greater ruler, a greater king. Don't be afraid in this world as you share the gift of Christ to acknowledge the limp that we all share through our encounter with the living God who blesses us in the darkness. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that even though you have the power to overwhelm us, to just crush us, You don't do that, Lord. Instead, you give us a new and better name. The name above all names, which has now been fully revealed in the light of day of first Easter morning, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us to remember the beautiful glory of our Lord. Help us to remember it's okay to have a limp in this world and to pass that down as we share this truth with others. So long that we grab a hold of you, Lord, and we do not let go of the one who offers his blessing to those who have passion for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.